Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are joined by a longtime friend of the program, but a man I finally was able to cajole onto our show. Of course, if you're a college tennis fan, you will know this guest quite well as he was instrumental in the University of Florida's run to the 2021 men's team title. Of course, he's had success at just about every coaching stop throughout his career, and now he's pursuing a new endeavor as he's the author of the brand new college tennis crash course newsletter. Of course, I'm referring to former University of Florida men's associate head coach Tanner Stump, who joins us on today's show to talk not only about his standout coaching career, but of course about his latest endeavor, why college tennis fans everywhere should be reading the college tennis crash course newsletter. Of course, getting to talk to Coach Stump was an absolute treat. He was a part of some of the most instrumental impactful moments in college tennis over the past decade and get to to get to explore his wealth of experience. Certainly a pleasure for me. And then I did want to ask, what was the impetus for this newsletter? What sort of information can college tennis fans expect to gain by reading it, of course, for Coach Stump? I also wanted to pursue his background. By his own admission, he was not a standout college tennis player, and yet that has never impacted him in his pursuit of a college tennis coaching career. I wanted to dive into that experience when he knew college tennis coaching was the right career path for him. We talk about all of that and so much more. Again, it's a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, a shout out as always to our dear friends at Swing Vision for their support of this program. Swing Vision supporting tennis players everywhere as they are at the forefront of all artificial intelligence innovation happening within the sport and they're all available to you in the palm of your hand all you got to do download the swing vision app today from there they've got you covered all you got to do record your hitting sessions using the app the swing vision will then break things down from there show you the forehand makes the misses the backhands the volleys the overheads the serves everything you're looking for all in the palm of your hand again download the swing vision app today when you do sign up with our promo code crack You'll get $20 off plus a free 14-day pro trial. Again, a thank you to our friends at Swing Vision for their support. To learn more, click on the link in the description to this podcast. With that said, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with former University of Florida men's tennis associate head coach, Tanner Stump. Hey, crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? 
success. Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code Crack20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information, one location, with our friends at Swing Vision. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a guest, I will be honest, we have been chasing for some quite some time here on this show. Of course, how could we not, as he has been an essential part of the college tennis universe over the past decade plus. Of course, you all probably know him best from his most recent role where he was the associate head coach for the national championship winning University of Florida Gators men's tennis team. Of course, now he is the author of a new newsletter, the College Tennis Crash Course, coming to your mailbox soon. Let's welcome onto our show our dear friend Tanner Stump. Tanner, welcome. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Gruskin. Oh, it is a pleasure. I was afraid when you first came on, you were going to make me compete with you for something. I was like, the Tanner I know right off the bat will be doing something. And clearly, it's the facial hair competition. And as always, you're winning. Well, I know I'm better looking than you to begin with, so that's not hard. <laughs> Oh, good. This is where we needed to start today's show. It is a pleasure to have you. And uh, obviously, so many different things. I want to ask you about the past five years of Florida men's tennis, which correspond with our first five years here at Crack Rackets. I always tell this story. I'll repeat it for you again. 2019 NCAA Championships Sunday semifinals. I am on the golf course, very hungover, following Dalton Thieneman, our CEO's wedding, and I'm following the live scores. And we're playing like a post-wedding round of golf. But the whole time, I'm just like, Florida, Texas, Florida, Texas, what's going on? And you guys obviously fall short in that match. Ruined my day. I was just like, and I, I, so just know we have that in common. That Sunday is a Sunday we'll both always remember. That's my shot back at you uh, because I am clearly better looking. Well, <laughs> I'll share a story as well that you're the reason that we won a national championship because you just kept giving us great bulletin board material in all of your doubts about our team. So thank you, Gruskin, for, for giving us that shining moment. See, you say that, but I feel like I was the biggest Florida believer. No one believed in the 2019 team more than me. And like Crawford, Riffis, Perez getting healthy, it all clicked down the home stretch. I'm pretty sure I picked you guys to win that year. That might have been the only year I picked you. But <laughs> that, sure. that was the only year, yeah. Yeah, but, um, you know, again, once scorned, I guess I always remember it there. You, you know, you see my Jewish roots. Um, <laughs> with that said, obviously... 
uh, you stepped down from your role as associate head coach in May. Uh, obviously, it ends in a pretty impressive fashion as Ben captures the NCAA singles title, second in a row for the program. Let's just talk about the past five months first. What's it been like for you to have a little bit more time and just you know figure out what the future holds? Yeah, it's it's been different in pretty much every form. You know, the reason I stepped away was for family reasons. Um, college coaching is a really difficult profession in terms of the time demands and what it takes to do the job really, really well, in my opinion. And and I don't think I always balance that to the best of my abilities either. I think there's people out there that do it much better than I did. But I have three kids now. Um, when I came to Florida, I had none. And so I've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And so life is moving at a rapid pace and it wasn't something that I really wanted to miss out on. So I had to give up, you know, a part of my life that I absolutely enjoyed and loved and college tennis has done so much for me and my family, you know, and providing us, um, uh, a vocation and work over these last few years. And so, um, it was a really difficult decision, especially to leave the situation I had at Florida with, with Brian and coach Perlman and everybody there. Um, that was the hardest thing was just to tell them, you know, tell them that I was, that it was over and done. And so, um, but it's just been a whirlwind, you know, just being an entrepreneur is, is different. Um, I've been an assistant my whole career. So I've always had somebody to lean on and ask if it's the right decision. And now I have to ask myself, I have to have a business meeting with myself and figure <laughs> out, figure out which way to go. And, um, so there's, you know, there's, there's constant crossroads of choosing what the best things are for the brand and, what space to be in. And so I settled on a space of coach education and consultation and uh, created some online content for coaches to be able to use specifically assistant coaches um, because that's what the area that I um, did and thrived in. And so I just want to pass along the knowledge and expertise that I have to others that are interested in continuing to grow and get better. And at the same time, I offer my services to consult with with teams in general to help with their um, understanding of situations, how to have better uh, things in place for them to be successful, not just for a year at a time, but to have lasting change that will help their programs be successful for years to come. So um, I don't know if that's what I'll do the rest of my life, but it's where I've started. And uh, it's been super fun to kind of explore that market and, and get to stay connected to college tennis in, in the ways that I really enjoy. Let me just say those conversations with oneself, they're essential. I think before every interview, a little look behind the curtain, I like to go on the exercise bike. It's a nice place I can watch tennis, not bother. You exercise? Yeah. Look at this jawline. Come on. You think it keeps itself? Um, Yeah, I got to stay skinny. Um, But just in case a TV uh, position pops up, but – one of the interesting things I always do is it's funny that you talk about those conversations with yourself. I map out my first seven questions, you know, to you in my head. And I'm like, I think he's going to go this way. So then I'll go here. And, you know, talking about that experience, you mentioned doing something new for the first time in your life. And that is where I wanted to start today's show is because you finish your career, Mississippi State, you're there 2008 to 2011. Sneaky young, I always like to say about Tanner Stump. Sneaky young. Um, And so, you know, you finish your career in right away, you're over to Middle Tennessee. Um, I'm curious for you, again, 15 straight years of college tennis. How draining is that physically, (laughs) mentally? What, what, you know, obviously you want to be close to your family as well, but it had to have been nice to just come up for air. Yeah. You know, I I would say that as much as it drains, it gives back. 
You know, it is draining. It's so draining at times. Every college coach would agree with that. Just the season can beat you down in a number of different ways, even when you're being successful. I mean, it's just hard. It's it's difficult. Um, you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds who could do something on a moment's whim. And so you've always got to be ready, you know, for what's next, ready for the curveballs and and you're constantly on. But I would say that the reward that it gives you in accomplishing something with individuals and with a team um, is is more than enough reward. And so uh, I definitely am happy to have some of the, the things back that I have, but I will infinitely miss the opportunities that are there to, to kind of walk together with a group of players and do something together that um, hasn't been done or, or even if it has been done, something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And so that's, I would say it's, it's just double-sided, you know, there's, there's, it's draining, but it, it gives you so much. And, and that's something that I probably won't find uh, really the rest of my life other than with my own family, but it's a unique experience that a coach gets to have and, and something that uh, I don't take for granted. Well then with that in mind, let's just get to the fun, hard hitting questions right away. Florida 21 National Championship or the sneaky, perhaps, favorite win of yours, 2016 round of 32, Mississippi State beats Illinois 4-0 in Champaign. Because that's one of those stupid matches that I will always remember as one of those upsets where it was that really windy day in Champaign and, you know, the guys just came out and played exceptional. Yeah, um... So that felt like a building block for the program. So I'm asking, you know, again, you're coaching your alumni. It's a big moment for a young team. Which one do you remember more fondly? Oh, they're so different. (laughs) Um, You know, I think the Mississippi State match was a little bit quicker in the making, whereas the Florida title was a little bit longer. Um, That's the the longest I'd ever stuck at a place. And so to get to see kind of – how that all unfolded. There was more time that went into it um, in terms of the the end payoff. But I will say that both were special. I mean, going into that match, we had so many question marks against Illinois, not just the weather, but Nuna was, was coming off of something that I don't know how any person can overcome. And he he clinched that match. It's just such a special thing. Plus, I was rocking a fantastic mustache at the time. Um, and Matt was too. The, a couple of days before. And so, you know, what was special about that group is they, they had all just come together. You know, we, we had recruited seven guys in one year. And so for them to get to that moment and get to go play at the final site in Tulsa was something we couldn't have dreamed of. You know, we were just trying to, to keep the program, you know, relevant and it, it ended up exceeding expectations. So that was special from there, but then obviously doing something that had never been done um, and knowing that we had gone into each of these guys' living rooms and said, hey, come and leave your legacy, you know, and be a part of something that's special and that will ha- forever hang as uh, in, the, in, the, in the halls of Florida. And then to actually realize that moment, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty gratifying. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, by the way, but did you know Brian was Ben's dad? Because I don't know if people have talked about it. And oh, that's why we got it. Yeah, and so you know, okay. you may not have, you may have recognized that living room is what I'm. Trying I thought to say it was. I you. thought it was me. I, yeah. The whole time, I thought <laughs> I had, I had landed the best recruit ever. Uh, yeah. But now, now, wow. Okay, that changes my outlook a little bit. Yeah. Ex- no. But now, again, now obviously it's a little bit clearer for you. But you know, <laughs> the reason I bring all of that up is, and I alluded to it, Middle Tennessee, Mississippi State. Florida, you've coached at Furman. various 
uh, Furman as well. Thank you. Shout out to Furman. It was on the list because what? First year, I want to say round of 32? At Furman? Yeah. We didn't make the tournament. Mm, okay. We lost, in the, we, lost in the, we lost in the conference finals. 15, that's what it was. 15 years. You got to, again, one of the years was going to slip through. Um, <laughs> with that said, you've been in a lot of different places. And I'm curious how that experience is reflected in this new newsletter. Yeah, I think it's invaluable. Um, I think a lot of people have a, a different path than I have had. Um, and that doesn't make it any in any way inferior it's just different and what i can speak to is that i know what it takes to be successful at four different places that are very different from each other if i was just out there telling people how to recruit at florida well that's not very applicable to 99 percent of the rest of the country but if i can tell you how i've learned from four different bosses who have all been great in different areas how i've um had to deal with different academic standards and different requirements that each university has and still figure out okay with what I've been given, how do I be successful with this? I think that I can offer that perspective pretty much for any school that's out there because there's gonna be some parallels of what I've had to deal with before. And then that goes a step further with team situations, dealing with different types of athletes and players. You know, an athlete and a player at Furman is much different than someone that's at Florida. And so the demands and how you treat them and how you how you work with them is totally different. So it's it's not just about knowing um, the ins and outs of recruiting and scheduling, but it's also knowing people and knowing who your personnel are and how to best work with them. How different was the recruiting for you at Furman, Middle Tennessee, you know, Mississippi State versus when you're at a big blue brand at Florida? Is it more difficult? Might it actually be more fun because maybe it's a, a cleaner slate and you're like, I can kind of pick from anywhere. How different are those experiences? So uh, my favorite was Mississippi State because you had access to most of of the world um, and the pool was bigger. The hard thing at Florida is your pool is so small with the talent that you need to get where you want to go. So there's not really the same opportunity to get hidden gems and things like that. Sure, you can find someone that that is under the radar that will turn out to be that shout out to Nate Bonetto, you know, and what he's starting to do. And, but it's at Mississippi state, that's what it was all about. And, and having to compete with some of the blue bloods and figure out how to win those battles um, was really rewarding for me. And, and probably where I gained the most insight as to how to be successful as a recruiter, because there wasn't necessarily as much to work with there, but we still needed to maintain the highest level to be able to compete with a Florida, with a Georgia um, and things like that. So I'd say that that was the sweet spot because we could land those players, but we also had to go about our work differently to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the newsletter, again, is this something you will be discussing how to recruit the international versus the American, et cetera? These are the things people can look towards. Yeah, I plan to kind of tackle a number of different areas you know in the first newsletter it's there's obviously player leads in there that that talk about mm -hmm. kids that are interested in college and how to get in touch with them and that's that's helpful info but what i want it to be is i want that to be a draw but i want people to stay for the stuff that's lasting the stuff that they can continue to use themselves so that they can go through this process on their own so i'm not going to delve too much into um exactly how to recruit certain individuals but my most of my information will be analytical. So it'll be taking data from UTR, from tennis recruiting, from national federations, and using my expertise to then create something that 
can be used across the spectrum. Um, so for instance, the, the, the analysis I did, this newsletter was on four-star tennis recruiting players. What was their progression from a UTR standpoint from sophomore to senior year? And so from sophomore to senior year, there was a 0.92 improvement across the board. Um, 0.6 of that was done. And from sophomore to junior, 0.3 of that was done after that. And then there was a negative correlation between senior year and freshman year in college where their UTRs dropped um, by a small margin. So it just gives me the insight then as a coach to know when I'm looking for players, what kind of should be the mark that I should start with um, to get the level of recruit that I need. Mm -hmm. Now, that's so fascinating to hear. And we try to be analytical here at Cracked Rackets. It's a little more difficult to do with college tennis because you don't have a tennis abstract of first serve percentages for all the players. What do you think Ben's first serve percentage was his freshman year? Do you have the number off the top of Does Florida track a stat like that? Uh, we do, but it's more for individual matches. So I'd say across the board, he'd be lucky if he hit 50%. Yeah, that's that's why I ask. And so I bring that up because in the discussion of college tennis, and I'm sure other coaches will be listening to this, players obviously as well, is how much analytical analysis are you guys doing in the coaching room? Whether it be from a players on your team perspective, trying to help them develop, or even to your point on the recruiting end, I'm sure you will send a message to a player in, in the first wave of recruiting emails that you've probably never, ever seen play. And I'm sure, I don't know why I had to sneak in never, ever there. I could have just said never. It's going to bother me if I don't make a note. But um, anyways, I'm just, I'm curious if analytics has actually broken through in college tennis. I think it's very helpful. Um, you know, I think, the conversations that I've always had with my boss have been centered around our current players and sure recruiting is, is a part of that too, but it's, if you're not talking about it, then I don't think you're really attacking it in all areas. You know, they're so present, your players are right in front of you all the time. So how can you not talk about, you know, the ways in which we can develop them and change them and help mold them into the best version of themselves as a player and as a person. And so, um, from a, from an analytics perspective, you know, we did use tennis analytics and I think they're, they're really taking over the market in some ways. Um, and, uh, they were very helpful, you know, whatever analytics company it is, if you have that feedback, I think that it does help to identify certain trends or just to be able to go back and watch certain situations. That's where I typically find the most benefit is, Hey, are we getting a break point a lot? And then what does it look like when we get there? Is the, is the game plan changing, are you are you all of a sudden valuing that point more than another? Um, I find that when you, as a player, it can be hard sometimes to hear things and then equate them to them being the same things that you see and feel out there. But when you see it, then it's very clear. There's a there's a direct correlation to what you're seeing, and and so you have visual learners, you have auditorial learners, and so just knowing how to use the information that we have to best help the current guys. To the recruiting side, I would say that well, it's... Well, if I, I want to get back to the recruiting, but I want sure. to interject there because I think there's even more to unpack. I was talking to a coach once, and they said fourth fourth point of the game. That's when I'm scouting an opponent, I want to see what they do on the fourth point of the game on serve because if it's 15-30, 30-15, that's the one you don't want to screw up. And, you know, the, the spot they pick there, that's probably the spot they like more than others. That's one example, you know... You don't have to use any player specifically, but I am curious when you say the things you're showing them, because first serve percentage is obvious, second serve win percentage, little things like that are all the, the, the layups, I suppose, for tennis fans to understand. 
does it get as specific as like, hey, you have missed 40% of your third balls in rallies. Like we got to focus on that third ball or how specific are you getting with these players? I think it depends on the player, how much information they can intake, because some players, the more you give, the more it locks them up. So okay. you have to be really careful how to navigate that. But as we, I would do presentations at Florida sometimes that were general to the team. And when I do, I would just take our entire fall and look at the serving percentage, but not look at it from what the overall percentage was, but look at where we're missing. So we're missing a ton of serves in the net. Well, if you watch a professional match, they're missing a lot less in the net. Their, their best misses are wide or long. And so if they're narrowing in on their target uh, and hitting it over the net, it's then much easier to make an adjustment to hit your spot the next time. So getting specific with the types of misses and then what that would potentially say about our team or our practices. And then coach at, at Florida, coach Brian was uh just so good at then addressing that with the right kinds of situations and drills for our team to then improve in those areas. So I really enjoy data and then I would make sure to take that data to him. And then he was able to really implement that well with certain types of design and practice to get us then to make improvements in those areas. Yeah, that is fascinating. And obviously that's very nitty gritty. Um, but you know, I'm sure that's something Coach Shelton or Ben's actual father, Scotty Perlman, very much appreciate. And so certainly um, appreciate you diving into that. Now on the recruiting aspect, again, what and I know you'll talk about this in the newsletter. You know, what metrics are you looking at? You know, what are the things you, you especially you look at that Mississippi State team, right? And I guess we can get this out of the way now. If I told you Nuno was going to be top 100 when you first recruited him, would you have been like, <laughs> like, no, but but I appreciate the take, Alex. Uh, no, um, <laughs> I will say that I think the earliest person to predict it was Shaq, the women's coach at uh, at Mississippi State. I think the first day he saw him, he said something to me along those lines of like, this is going to be the best player to ever play at Mississippi State, um, which I was like, Shaq, I, that's great. But like, I, I'm just happy we have six players on the team. You know, <laughs> like, like, you know, my career <laughs> finished less than five years ago. You could have just said me. exactly exactly so uh, i didn't see that coming i mean you know it was clear he was special but uh but to think that someone like that can achieve those those heights um any player it's it's just so hard to get to and so to make that call um early was uh was was certainly difficult but uh so how do you find him what metrics do you look for to find a nuno so a lot of recruiting is luck and being in the right place at the right time. Um, so there's there's some of that at play for sure. And and I think it's just following your your gut. You know, you you develop a gut over time. The more experience that you have, you start to see the same things play out. What you should avoid, what you should take, um, what things that things that some coaches feel is a big deal might not be a big deal to me. You know, one of the things that Nuno struggled with was his his anger and his emotions and and knowing how to use those in the right way. And that would be maybe a, a, a red flag for me if I saw some off-court behavior that that was lining up in that way as well. But for Nuno, he's just the gentlest, kindest human being. And so it was like, man, he just struggles to know how to be a competitor, how to, how to put that into the right place for him to then be able to thrive. And that's something that he'll have to battle and struggle with the rest of his career. It's it's a it's a never ending improvement, you know, to to become the best version of yourself, um, even though he's already top 100. And so I think just knowing from a character standpoint and then also from a staff standpoint and then an extension of that as a team, what can you take on 
You know, what kinds of personalities can you add to your team that aren't going to detract from the team as a whole? You want you want the team to be so strong that if you do take someone that maybe has some red flags, they end up conforming to the way that the team is. Instead of if you have kind of this mixed bag, then people could end up going any way they want. And so we always just tried to really focus on that piece and identify the character. Um, in terms of of finding and whatnot, you know, you start with a certain range of level and and I got really good at knowing how to go through national rankings, knowing how to use UTR, knowing how to use ITF, um, as well as knowing how to use a network that I have to talk to people. And you just try to you just try to turn over every stone, you know, and see and see what's under there. And and even if at first glance it doesn't look good, s- stick it out, see see where they go, you know. And I think we're we're so quick to give up on on players if they're not exactly what we're looking for right then. But there's just so many guys out there that especially on the men's side, they're late bloomers. You know, they, they haven't grown accustomed to their six foot four body or, you know, haven't quite figured out their game style or they're having tough things going on at home or they don't have a good situation with coaching. Let's find out why they're not maximizing their potential. And then once we find that out, that'll give us a clear indication as to whether they're going to figure it out or if they're going to stay stuck in that place forever. Do you feel by the end of your time in college tennis, or at least that run, your 15-year stretch, it was easier to sell international recruits on coming to college and playing, you know, and that the level was good enough and that the experience would be worthwhile? Has that changed over the past decade? I think it has. Uh, I think because there, if there's an example from their country, it's easier to me to draw that line if it's so when I first got into it, I would say that there wasn't as much of that. It wasn't as widespread. So I know numbers have increased and and there's more of a percentage in the top 100 than there used to be. But more than that, it's 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 spread. Um, and whether that's singles or doubles, there's success in more and more countries. And so then it's easier for kids to hear about it when they're in their country because they see someone doing well and hear that college was their path. And so I'm not typically the first person to tell them that anymore. Someone else has already started that work. So when I come into the picture, there's already some kind of foundation for them understanding that college isn't a joke. It's it's a legitimate pathway that they've actually heard about. So those discussions definitely got easier, and I hope they continue to get easier um, as time goes and as college tennis gets better and better and there's more proof that this is a great path and uh, and the best path, honestly, because it – it just gives you so much support and the life out there as a struggling futures player is not a good one. And so why not come to college and just develop in a very secure environment that, um, and again, like have the feelings of the best moments of your life, getting to accomplish things with a team that you otherwise would be out there doing wherever, um, even winning one of those tournaments, you know, won't equate to the joy that clinching a four, three match will for you. So I'm telling you what you already know, but, just for anyone out there that's listening, I mean, my my stamp of approval is 1,000% on college tennis. And if you find the right situation, it can do absolute wonders for your life. You think NOAD compromises development at all or no? Uh, no. I would say, I would argue that NOAD only increases your ability to focus and thrive under pressure. Um, I would say that every point of the game becomes valuable to where I can no longer throw something away. And so when I go out there and I do have that margin, I've already been trained to use that margin better than other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it has it made the sport more entertaining. You know what? I'm going to sit in the stands for the first uh, for yeah, the first time true. this year. 
Um, so Did I'll it make it know. more stressful for you? Oh, 100%. Are you kidding, Are you kidding me? The, the, I mean, it's uh, when you got somebody like Josh Goudreau on your team, you know, um, I love Josh. Hey, Josh. Um, you know, you never know what to expect on that no ad point. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a coin flip. But um, I think it's, I think it's exciting. You know, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think that college tennis in general is exciting, but that adds another element to it that I don't think detracts from development. I would argue that it 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 either helps or it's just the same. Um, and it, but it makes it more enjoyable for a fan that's never had any interest in tennis. Mm-hmm. You reserve the right to offer no comment on this. I'm sure if you never have to watch an Andy Andrade second serve on a deuce point again, you'll be like, you know what? I'm gonna live. I'm gonna be okay with it. Mm, um, no yeah, exactly. I'll say it so you don't have to. Um, all right. With that said, obviously, again, I mentioned this earlier, but the newsletter, of course, very aptly named the College Tennis Crash Course. How can people sign up for it? What else can they do to start? You know, again, I know it's not just the newsletter, but start learning from your expertise. So it's collegetenniscrashcourse.com/newsletter. Um, basically, if you go on there, there will pop be a pop up that comes up. And you can subscribe. I highly recommend people subscribe because what the newsletter does, it's kind of a catch-all for everything that comes out. If you're on the subscriber list, then you get additional emails as information comes through. So if I do get come across a player who's interested in college, whoever is on the email list, I will then send out another email. If you're not on the email list, then you will have to wait until the next month to actually know about those types of leads. So I think it's beneficial to be on the subscriber list. So you can do that there. Um, while you're on the website, you can check out my other services. You can see um, the course that I offer. If you're interested in the course, I can send you a temporary login so you can see the content that's on there and check out the modules for yourselves and all that it covers, as well as it explains my uh, role as a consultant, what I do there. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for um, knowing more about uh, recruiting, but also knowing uh, what services I offer and how I can help Uh, those that are looking to improve themselves in this profession. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very valuable service. I I talk to so many coaches and so many young coaches in particular. How do I become an assistant? How do I, you know, how long do I need to be a volunteer? Do I need to be a volunteer? Is power five versus non-power five actually make a difference? All these sorts of things, I'm sure, are the sorts of things you discuss. And, you know, for you in particular, and now we get to dive into the biography. This is where the real fun is. Well, and I I have one quick point on that, if you don't mind. Please. There's there's a lack of people people you know we yeah. we need good young coaches and I, that's I'm a hypocrite saying that because I left the business <laughs> but, uh, but uh, that's one of those where you said it and you're like oh yeah you're one of those some um, scholars have argued you're no longer young but carry on oh thank you yeah. um <laughs> that the third child does that to you yeah. um so I would say that like now's the time you know when I was coming through there were so many so many it was so hard to get a job and then like you couldn't find a GA position. You couldn't find anything. And I was so fortunate that Jimmy took a chance on me, you know, straight out of college. Uh, and nowadays I've got so many coaches asking me for good people, you know, good players that just finished that are interested in, in doing a master's. And man, I, I just wish we had more of a, more of an influx of people that were interested in maybe that's, that's our job too, is to bring awareness to that, to get juniors in college to think about college tennis as a profession and what that would mean. And, and so if you do, if you're a player who's listening to this and you have interest in the profession, please reach out. I'd love to tell you more about 
how to get started and what opportunities are out there for you because um, this is a great game. It's a great profession to be in and we need more motivated young coaches to take some of these positions. Yeah. And, you know, again, with that in mind, you also, I think when you look at the players and I know speaking with many players who have either just finished or are nearing the end and thinking about getting into the college tennis coaching ranks, how good of a player do you think you need to be to get into those coaching ranks? Because obviously looking at your career, you played for Mississippi state team. That was pretty good by the end of your tenure in that top 20 range. You know, that said, you don't need to be the number one guy on that team, right? To get started in college coaching. Did you feel that way going into it? I mean, I was terrible. I, yeah. wasn't, I, I, I mean, if you ever saw my technique, Oh my goodness. It's uh, it wasn't pretty. Um, you know, there was certainly a, I guess maybe a self image issue there of not thinking I was worthy of certain opportunities because I hadn't been a certain player myself. And I think when you do have that playing experience, you do have a leg up in the profession to have maybe a higher starting place, but it it's not about where you start, you know, it's about where you finish. And obviously there's lots of great coaches out there who have done amazing things professionally, but there's lots of great coaches out there who have very little playing experience, you know? And so I think there's a path for everybody. It's just, what are your skill sets? You know, don't try to be somebody that you're not. I, I remember on my interview with Brian, the first thing I told him, I said, look, I can't use my left arm anymore. Like I've, I've got this, this weird issue. I can't even feed balls with it. Like you're not going to be getting somebody that can hit with the guys that can do things on the court at a high level other than provide insight. And I wanted him to know that because I wanted to get the greatest weakness out of the way so I could tell him my greatest strength, which if you hire me, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get someone you can trust that works extremely hard, that knows recruiting inside and out. And together with your skill set in mind, we can take this thing to a whole nother level. And uh, and so I would I would just say you just got to lean into who you are and what you do best. And if you start there and start with those pillars of your brand, then you're going to be attractive to whoever you come across because you're going to have something really, really good to offer. So strive to be exceptional in a couple areas and then stick to those areas um, as you go through the profession. Yeah, it's a pathway I respect so much as it's one I relate to. Grant Chen played club tennis at UCLA. He's the head coach at SMU. Obviously, that just makes it so clear. There is a pathway that doesn't involve having to have had played at a top 500, 600, even any sort of pro level. Just be involved in the sport, sell yourself. And was that what you did? You sold yourself to get in the door at middle? You know, did you know right away as you finished up your college career? Because, you know, obviously you, uh, I believe, managed to get what was the degree in business, I want to say, if memory serves me correct here. Yeah, Um, business admin. Yeah. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily always lead into tennis coaching. But did you know I have this degree, but. I really want to stay in college tennis. Yeah. So that's a long story, but I'll keep it short. So when I went on my recruiting visit to Mississippi state, Matt Hill picked me up from the airport and, uh, and we talked about me being a college coach and that was one of my interests, uh, in, in the profession. Um, and so I, I wanted to go to Mississippi state to learn from pair and Matt, um, which was a fantastic move for my career there. They, the, what they did with the program and what they've gone on to do with their careers um, has given me a wealth of information. So it's not just the people that I've worked for. It's also, I felt like I had two people there as well that I got to pull from and draw from. Um, so I, I went all the way through college thinking I'd be in college coaching. My senior year, I actually thought I was going to go into on-campus ministry. And uh, and then 
that fell through last minute. And so it was like August or September It was super late. And I reached out to Matt and I was like, Hey, I'm about to get married. I told her father I'd take care of her and I, I don't have a job <laughs> anymore. So like, you need to help bail me out. And he's like, Oh, it's funny you called. I just talked to Jimmy at MTSU and he's looking and the process there was about 48 hours. And, uh, and Jimmy gave me the job, I think, because it was so late. And, um, I think what got me the job there was Matt. Um, it wasn't anything that I did per se with Jimmy. It was more Matt's recommendation as to my character, as to what I did for the team, that I was a captain on the team and that I, I had leadership even in that role. Um, because I wasn't a good player, they had me on court as the third coach a lot. And so I already had experience in that area too. So I think it just goes to show like just with your brand in general, you have to know that every interaction you have, every relationship you have matters. And that's going to be what opens or closes the door for you in this profession as well. If you do a good job with that, then you'll have plenty of opportunities no matter who you are. What's the tougher transition, Bradenton to Starkville or Starkville to Murfreesboro? Well, I went from Greenville to Starkville. Oh, so second you'd time. Moved from, yeah, second time. Well, so, so um, yeah, oh, yeah that's all true. Um, I would say the, the hardest part, I'm sure Matt and Jake are listening, but the hardest part was going from Bradenton to Starkville. Yeah. Um, plus all my teammates were European. So I was, I stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it's good. That's why you might've gravitated towards the coaching staff there. I said, does this mean you're part of the pair coaching tree? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, sure. I guess we'll throw it on there. Start extending the branches. Um, yeah. Yourself, Matt Hill. It's not the worst group. No, um, no, no. Great, yeah. great, great group. Yeah. And so, you know, for you, and obviously I'm doing a little bit of fast forwarding here, but I, I always say, you know, I don't I don't want Becker to go anywhere. Let's be clear. But let's say Steiny retires, Becker moves up to the head position and he calls and he says, Alex, are you ready to hang up the microphone and come coach Michigan? I'd be like, I'm on the first plane. I'd be like, I'll see you in 10 hours. Like, or four, it's actually, it's a four and a half, I think four hour, five minute drive from here to Ann Arbor. I'll be there in four hour, four minutes. Like, I just had a revelation that this is the entire reason you started these podcasts is so you could deliver that message to him right now. <laughs> Bill, no, I, I called him this design. when I was at club tennis when I was a senior. <laughs> so he's known this for half a decade now. But yeah, this is just to build credibility for the next 15 years so that when it if the transition happens, no one's that shocked. Um, with that said, uh, you know, again, when you get that call from Mississippi State, was it pretty instant? Like I, I would love to coach at my alma mater. I can only imagine what that's like. Yeah, so I, I was working with Kelly Jones at Furman, who's an amazing man. and Former um, NCAA doubles champ. Shout out to Pepperdine's Kelly Jones. Yeah, uh, just quality as they come. Um, loved working with them. When I was on my interview with Kelly, I said, hey, there's only – I plan on being here for at least three years. There's only two jobs I'd leave for. And I said I'd leave for South Florida, where Matt Hill was at the time, or I'd leave for Mississippi State to go back. And – so 11 months later they called. And so if I don't, if I would have not expressed that, I feel like I probably would have had more chaos in me to figure out what the right move was. And I did have an opportunity to move on mid year that year, but I was certain that that wasn't what I wanted to do from a loyalty standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard again, just telling Kelly that like, even though we love working together and stuff that, that I was going to leave, but to go back and coach at your alma mater is special. I mean, it's, it's really special and just uh, it's a place that's close to my heart and 
Um, so it was, it was not a hard call to make. It was honestly in a weird way, harder call to leave Mississippi state for Florida. Um, just because of that, because of the connection to the school. And, um, in some ways you feel like you're kind of betraying it, uh, by leaving because you've worked so hard to make it what it is. Um, but there's just what I've learned in the profession. There's just never a good time to leave. You know, if, if you're always waiting for it to be right and feel perfect, like you're always going to have relationships if you're doing it right, that are going to hurt when you decide to make that move. And so you just got to do right by your family and try to make those calls as best you can. What's the stress like when you recruit seven kids and they're all freshmen on the team? <laughs> oh man, that was a tough year. Uh, <laughs> that was brutal. I was waking up at three in the morning, uh, to write kids in Europe when they were getting up. So like <laughs> I, I was getting insane. I was getting insane. It was, it was nuts. Um, you know, uh, looking back, I mean, I, I had called, I had called Vaughn Hunter and I'd called Trevor the week before and said, Hey, we don't have a spot for you. And then when those guys came in and said they were leaving in January, I picked the phone faster than you can blink and said, Hey, we, we want you to come visit. <laughs> and uh, thankfully both those guys weren't super turned off by the first call and they, they ended up being uh, the first guys to commit. But man, that was stressful. Just, I remember when Matt and I celebrated when we had six guys, cause it was like, whew, at least we're not going to have to default anything next year. So that was kind of the, the standard that we were that we were at at that point it was such a low standard, but it was like, man, we're making progress just because we've got six bodies on the team. Mm -hmm. No, I I can only imagine what that's like, and you know I've heard some stories, obviously, but I'll ask you now. Can you give me one freshman year Nuno track experience because I've heard it was not great. So I'll give you I'll give you my first. He wouldn't mind me sharing this because I've shared <laughs> this with him recently. Um, my first impression of Nuno, we we had some workouts um, before we were going to South Florida for kickoff weekend. And we were playing, I think, FSU and then LSU um, or, or vice versa, LSU first. And uh, it was the day before and we're practicing and Nuno's playing a set with Mate Kachura and he's not moving. He's just like standing still. And I go over to him and I start getting into him. Next thing I know, I realize he's crying. And I was like, no, no, what's wrong? And he's, he, he just looks at his legs and he yells like just some like Portuguese word. And he's, he's crying and he's just like, I can't move because we worked out. And like, <laughs> because like we went to the gym one time, you know, like he's like, feeling so sore that he's just like, I'm done. Like I can't, I can't go on. And the next, the day, the next day he played uh, Simon Freund and I kid you not, he didn't move and he won. And, and then from there, he, he obviously got uh, progressively better and tougher and started to figure out the mentality, but it was just such a funny place to start. You know, he was such a, a raw kid and in those areas. And so he had no idea how to push his body to the limits and obviously figured out how to do that better than anyone else in college. He was such a beast physically and still is. So um, quite the arc there for him. Ben versus him in that first round U.S. Open match. Do you not watch or did you watch? 
I watched, I was actually going to go when yeah. they were both in it. And then when I found out they were playing each other, I was like, I don't really want to go anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, I, I mean, what are the chances, you know, yeah. just to the, really the two, two only guys that I'm that connected to in the draw played each other. Um, great spectacle for college tennis, phenomenal match. They both acquitted themselves really well. Very proud of both of them, but I would have liked to have seen them beat up on some other people instead. It was on. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And, you know, you talk about Nuno. I, did you know, like, the first kick serve where you saw where you're like, yep, I'm in. Like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what attracted me to him was his, uh, his backhand, ironically. Really? That's just, a hot take. Yeah. It, in the recruiting process, I just absolutely love that thing. I mean, he could flatten it out and, and, and put it wherever he wanted to. The forehand actually, to me, had some some earlier issues, you know, that was the way to expose him. And so it was funny how that, plus I never thought he'd play doubles. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, uh, that was clear. And now he's top 100 in the world in doubles as well. So um, it just shows you that that's a lot of recruiting. Like I said, is luck and you do see good certain coaching. things, but yeah, good coaching. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take credit for a lot of that. That was, that was a lot more Matt because he was there a lot longer, but um, but yeah, for sure. It's, it's important to find that perfect match, you know, of, of philosophy and how they see your game. And if you do find the right match, then it, you know, it works out how it did. Yeah. Well, with that said, I don't want to keep you for too much longer. We'll do some rapid fire down the home stretch. Okay. Be, sounds you good. Can, you're going to like some of these. <laughs> you <can> be, <laughs> when yeah. you say, when you say I'm going to like it, I mean, I know you mean that I'm not. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. You're on to me. Um, you can beat one of these teams, Tennessee or Texas. Who do you pick? Tennessee. Okay, good answer. Um, true or false, you are undefeated in ball drop historically. That is false. Okay. But losses? I think every game but I think every game I lost, somebody cheated. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your biggest rival? Okay, ball drop the warm up, of course, for those who don't know the Gators did before. Or was this just twenty twenty one? Uh, it's existed for a few years. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, that was just for you. Like that was actually, just, no, it, it's existed after. since I got there. It was already, it was already a thing. Elliot Orkin, Max Lipman, those guys, they love the small games. They love the little games. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, that was one of them. Yeah. Are you the winningest player in Florida history? Florida. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not close. I like that. Uh, NCAA individuals, you've been there back to back years. You know what that two week, three week grind is like. Should individuals be in the fall or spring? Fall. Period. You're fine with the change? Yes. All right. I like that. Should pro rankings factor into the mater- uh, the criteria to get into the tournament? Yes. Okay. I like both of these. Should the rankings be reexamined, just the entire formula in general? I think things can always be improved. Okay. That's what I like to hear. Um, are there any young coaches? You talk about maybe the – I don't want to say lack of young coaches, but there are certainly some established presence. presence is across college tennis um are there some young coaches you would point to that you admire yes do you want to name them or no oh is this rapid i thought we were doing yes no yeah and, no no they're but i open it up for you for the interesting ones uh well one of my one of the people closest to my heart is to schmidt at pepperdine does a phenomenal job um amazing brand i've known him since he was since i coached him at, at mississippi state so he's doing an incredible job out there trevor at liberty awesome human being, um, doing a great job with Derek there, doing some things that, that I think, uh, are special. And, uh, I think they'll do things that, that have never done been done there or, or might not, 
ever be done there again. Um, and then from a head coaching standpoint, I think Harry at Michigan State is 100% special. Um, I think he's I think he's going to crush it for years to come. Um, I think he's he's somebody that is very like myself in the sense in the way that he views things and the way that he goes about his business and he really cares um, about all of his interactions, gives people time, does does things really the right way. So I think you know I think all those guys are under under thirty, um, and so there there are some the bright spots that I see, and I'm sure I'm missing a lot that are out there that, that I either haven't crossed over with or that I'm forgetting. I'm 10 years away from being on your list. That's, that's <laughs> what we'll say. Yeah. 10 years away. Um, no, it, it, there are so many great young coaches. It's funny. I've known Harry since I was like 10, uh, cause there was a Nike camp we both went to. He was obviously much better than I was at the time. Nowadays, who knows? Um, you know, no, he would still all American. People forget Harry was an all American NCAA double semifinalist not that long ago for state. I think that's a very good name, and obviously, you see what they're doing in recruiting already as well. Um, all right, now we get into the real fun stuff. Oh, gosh, what was the best Florida team 19, 20, 21, or 22? I mean, how can you not go with 21? Well, I think. I think you can not go with 21. I think you can make the argument 22 is better. They only lost, what, I what 21 had two losses, 22 had three. That's a good 22 point. made the national indoors. 22 coast through the SEC conference play, obviously, were exceptional. You know, we said going into it, the Virginia match was it the NCAA championship match. I actually, now that I think about it, I think, in a, it's crazy to say, we were deeper in 22. Yeah, that's, I mean, because it's just the options on the, like, Abdul didn't yeah. play. He was sitting there uh, on the bench. I mean, Nate and Abud and Lucas and Will, and I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on with guys that are, I mean, those guys are going to step in this year and do amazing things for the team. Like, they can all crush it at certain parts of the lineup. And so for us to have all of that, I mean, that that's a good point. Those That was, yeah, that was chock full of great players. The other one I'd give a flyer to is the 20 team. Because I know 20 started out slow, and it was the COVID year. Gosh, I don't even remember 20, That's honestly. Crawford, Riffis, et cetera. Yeah. yeah, all those guys. I just feel like, I mean, I was at that North Carolina match. I called it. It wasn't the greatest at the National Indoors, but that North Carolina team was very, very good. But it felt like outdoors, that team had had another gear to them. And just like relative to the field at that time, because you didn't have all the transfers, et cetera. I actually sneaky think I like the 20 team best and would have picked them to win the NCAA title. That that North Carolina match, they beat the absolute pants off of us. Uh, it I was mean, a great. That was the fastest I've ever been out of the building in my life. Well, what uh, Will did to Oliver that day, Will played top 100 tennis where it was just like, there's nothing Oliver can do. Yeah, they were they were primed and ready for that event. I mean, they were they were they were too good. That's also the event where Brandon Holt gave everyone COVID. <laughs> it, all of us we all got it like it's just like I, 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 I got something there so yeah, yeah for sure and that's why I'm like I'm immune because of Brandon so you know <laughs> and, and all the vaccines whatever and so um, yeah that's that was the opening event it's one I won't forget um, yeah I mean you look at last season I'm sure the UVA loss was bitter but how sweet was it for you and this is you know last two questions doesn't have to be rapid to end your Florida coaching tenure with that national championship with Ben? 
Pretty sweet. You know, I mean, he, he and I, you know, we saw the season ending differently with the team, you know, that, that was clear, uh, after the match with Virginia, that's what we expressed to each other. Um, but I remember going up to him after he won and I said, no, this is how it was supposed to end, you know, and, and I wish Sam would have had that moment too, but just in the sense of both of those guys, all they had given to the Gators, all they had given to the team for that then get to, for me to get to share that moment with them, which ended up being both of their last moments in college, you know, especially get to be on Sam's court every match that, that week and, you know, get to battle with him a few more times. Cause, cause uh, we've certainly formed a great relationship over time. And um, so, yeah, really special to end that way. Also my wife, my daughter, eldest daughter were there um, for the Virginia match. And so just, just getting my daughter's perspective, you know, on the whole thing of, basically asking me like you know if I had fun afterwards and and you know like I did you know just just in the sense of like full appreciation for what the game is and what it's given me and college tennis specifically and um it was a great college tennis match and so um nothing like a a five-year-old to give you um advice and perspective when you need it um cuts right to the core no, I imagine that's why some people listen to this show because they're like, oh, it's a five-year-old giving analysis here on this same, side. Same, yeah, same idea. You, you get it. Yeah, the immaturity, please. There's a there's a sweet spot for it. You just have to find it. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I asked Ben this and his answer was, I asked if you played him 10 times, how many would you win? And he goes, six, but they were very, very good. He was like, that. our takeaway in the locker room was they were the better team on this day. Do you feel similarly? That Virginia was the better team. Yeah, I mean, or you you play them ten times. How many do you take? Gosh, there's so many things at play. <laughs> yeah. Weather conditions. Um, who's would you healthy? Have, if you could do anything different, would it be just have the team chill, maybe a bit, you know, or just stay in the locker room during that weather delay? I don't think I would change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we managed it as we always had. And, you know, just because it doesn't work out on a certain night doesn't mean that it was the wrong move. What I would not want to do is put the guys in a situation they were foreign to, you know, and so I think doing something different might have created a a worse situation. So it's always easier to say in hindsight. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's the beauty of college tennis nowadays is it's it's not so top heavy in the sense of there's such a unanimous favorite there's there's the gap that's exists but it's there's eight teams above that gap and then it's like once i mean i I was in enough battles in in the career there at the end the last three years to where it was like man there's so much favor favor and fortune that goes into these last couple rounds i mean uh anything from the schedule to the weather to to who's confident at the time it it's it's all just like Hey, it's a coin flip. Every match is a coin flip. And I think that's great for the sport and that's how it should be. Um, so that's the Virginia match. I think it's probably 50, 50. That's how I always kind of approach those final rounds was just like, man, we could go out here and, and play our best and win, or we could go out here, play our best and lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just didn't, it's that close of a margin and it's just who's hot at the right time. And, um, so I think, uh, I think they were a phenomenal team. Um, along with all the other teams that were there at the final site. And uh, it's just like, hey, it's game on once you get there and then may the, may the best team win. 
I was at the National Indoors. It was a really good match the first time you guys played during the year. And so obviously you knew it was going to be a good one going in. Um, you know, you mentioned some things there I've, that I'd forgotten to bring up. So these will actually be the last two questions for you, I promise. And then I'm going to let you go here. Um, you know, again, looking at college tennis, big picture, uh, you, you talk about the parody and that competition and all of it transferring good or bad for college tennis. I hate to see it. Um, I, I think it demeans and hurts certain things. I, I, I do have compassion for players that end up in a situation that's not what they expect, which is more of the coach's fault than anyone else to present a situation that's not exactly what it was. Um, but I can say that happens from the player side too, of them projecting to be someone that they're not. And so I think the idea in and of itself is good, but just kind of the way that it's handled now, it's it's really hard for there to be consistency and to create these relationships that are lasting um, because as soon as you don't get something that you want, you you hit the portal and you go somewhere. And I don't think that teaches you great life lessons about how to persevere and how to work hard and get what you want where you are, as opposed to taking in some ways the easy way out and, and just going where you can get what you're looking for, that immediate gratification that I that I talked about. Yeah, fair. All right. The last one for you, and you're no longer in the game for now, but maybe you'll be back later. Who knows what the future holds? That said, I'm going to get this rule passed someday by the ITA if I do nothing else. Coin toss out in lieu of that start of every match. I've now evolved from one point to two out of three drop and hit points. Head coach versus head coach. Winning coach decides the serving arrangements. We're done with the coin toss. We can do better. Coach versus coach. Let's get the competition going. Yes or no? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me Brian versus a pair wouldn't get the crowds going nuts? Uh, people aren't there early enough usually. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. Well, uh, again, Coach, always grateful to have the chance to chat with you. Really excited to see what you'll be doing uh, moving forward. Again, collegetenniscrashcourse.com for all of our listeners who want to check out the newsletter. Uh, Coach, obviously, don't be a stranger. We're happy to have you back in the future. Yeah, thanks for all you do, Greskin, and thanks for having me on. I'm sure I'll be back again. Yeah, of course. Take care. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with former University of Florida men's associate head coach Tanner Stump. A massive thank you to him for taking the time to chat. And again, if you want to learn more about the College Tennis Crash Course newsletter, just Google it. You'll be able to find it. And from there, you'll have a wealth of information available to you. Hopefully, we'll have Coach Stump on again in the future as well. I feel like I left some meat on the bone in terms of questions I would like to ask him about his tenure with that said, we've got plenty of fun conversations, both logged already in the queue and coming up for all of you Cracked Interviews podcast listeners. Of course, if you missed any of them, just scroll down on your podcast feed. I like to think all of these interviews have aged well, whether it be with the recent ITA All-American champs. We had the chance to talk with pros of late, such as the uh, Ellen Perez's of the world, Brandon Nakashima, and so much more. So hopefully you'll find everything you're looking for here on 
this podcast feed, of course. If you do not find what you're looking for, we got more content for you, whether it be the mini break, whether it be the Great Shot podcast. We're trying to cover every level of the sport. Keep all of you tennis fans up to date on everything happening across levels in the tennis world. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of that content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Swing Vision for their support. To learn more about their artificial intelligence innovations in tennis, just click on the link in the description to this podcast. With that said, for our fantastic guests, Tanner Stump, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.